Hey everybody, this is episode 62 of the Holy Cannoli Podcast. This is Tony Gapastone. My wife is actually in the room. Say hi, Wendy. Hello, what's up? We are in the middle of the pandemic. It's December 2020. Our podcasts have been few and far between on Holy Cannoli. I've really been focusing on the Brave Maker Podcast show. But I'm coming out of retirement here to play a conversation that is almost two years old, maybe even a little older than two years. It's pretty wild to think about it. But I'm talking with Roger Huang. Pastor Roger is the focus of the film called 33 Days. And more than that, he is a life changer, a city changer, a person who pursues justice at the heart of the Tenderloin, which is a one square mile area of San Francisco, and we get into that. So I'm bringing this out. I've actually been holding on to this for quite some time. It has been a five-year journey to get a book adapted into a film. And if you know anything about filmmaking, it takes a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of sweat, a lot of tears. And we're inviting you to check it out. So check out our show notes, 33daysfilm.com is a way that right now you can invest. You're going to hear from the mouth of the very guy that this film is all about. He goes into his abusive past in Taiwan, coming to San Francisco for the American dream, giving it all up to start serving the under-resourced community of San Francisco's Tenderloin, in which he started with bringing 50 sandwiches. Pretty beautiful story. Check it out. It's really emotional. Also, if you in any way are triggered with discussion about abuse and violence, then you might want to avoid this podcast or just prep yourself for that. It's a real story. He's very transparent and we invite you to help us bring it. It's December 2020 and we have about a year in which we hope this film will be into production and only a couple months to raise a good portion of the foundation we're trying to get financially to launch this into action, which requires getting some cast attached that we talk about in this film, in this podcast, I should say. All right, thanks for listening. Uh, take care. Make sure you check out our show notes. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at 33 Days Film. And every Friday, producer Ed Portillo and I talk about the film. It was uh, it's a really gift, a really cool gift for me to be able to not only be a producer but a co-writer of the script. I didn't even get a chance to talk about that because at the time when I recorded it, I wasn't a co-writer. But now I'm really stoked to be able to say that. And Ed Portillo, producer, and I talk every Friday on our Facebook page at around 2 p.m. Pacific time about the updates on the film. Do you want to become a partner with us, help us fundraise? Email us at 33daysfilm at gmail.com. All right, here's our conversation on the Holy Cannoli Podcast with Roger Huang. You are listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapastone. All right, we are recording, and I am in the Tenderloin right now. I'm in San Francisco Tenderloin, and my guest for the day is Roger Huang. And I met Roger because I was volunteering here years ago. I even forget how I heard. I think City Impact, the organization in which Roger founded, is well-known in the Bay Area, well-known in the, the country, and now it's getting into the world. Roger is an author, he's a pastor, but he's also an innovator, an activist, uh, a justice advocate, an entrepreneur, and he has an amazing story. And so I'm excited to jump in today. So Roger Huang, welcome to Holy Cannoli. Well, thank you. Thank you, Tony. Good <laughs> to be here with you. <laughs> so I'm holding your book in my hands right now. Your book is called Chasing God, One Man's Miraculous Journey in the Heart of the City. 
So how in the world did you get from Taiwan mm -hmm. to San Francisco, and why did you come here? Well, my dad was working for China Airline, and um, one day they decided to transfer his job from Taipei to San Francisco. So the whole family came. And uh, we arrived here in, in the city, 1970. I was 15. Mm. So yeah, we came right to the city. And then he bought a beautiful home, 10th Avenue and Fulton, right across from Golden Gate Park, right across from DL Museum. And uh, so that's where we settled. And you, so you were, your whole family was here. Yes. From China. Mm -hmm. And you were 15. How did you stumble into, because you were originally going to work in the hotel industry. Mm -hmm. You didn't want to kind of follow in the footsteps of your, your family, your dad, right? Yeah. Ta tell us about that. Okay. I was uh, born and raised in Taipei. And, um, and it was a very uh, abusive uh background my dad would always beat up the three of us the first three that would be Stanley Allen and Roger that would be me number three uh, there were six of us and when we came here and uh, the you know the, the abusive uh, continues so at age 17 I decided I just want to leave and I left you left your home in San Francisco with your family yeah uh -huh. I pack up my stuff in a little in a duffel bag and they just got in the car and drove away didn't we have a place to go but I just worked my my way up all the way through the restaurants and in the city and eventually became an auditor for Holiday in Crown Plaza Marriott and Park 55 mm -hmm. so fast forward to age 27 right by now I had two full-time positions um, and one day on the way home, in between the jobs, I turned the TV on. There was a TV evangelist preaching about the love of Jesus. And it was like right there and then I just wept for the first time for the right reason. No one has ever told me the story of how someone can die for me in that way. So within 15 minutes, I, I was very emotional and I didn't know that there was a love that is beyond my only imagination so so that was the moment that changed my whole life so that's super strange and i love talking about the strangeness of god and how sacred and how people meet god and experience god in different ways so you were working so people who don't know the bay area the park 55 is this really super swanky hotel mm -hmm. in what we call union square which is sort of the center of the heart of san francisco right and san francisco is only seven by seven miles it's a small city most people are familiar with it. But so Roger's working at this really nice hotel. And you're 27. And you, your dream was really to what? To, to like be a hotel guy? To be one of those type of people? Well, I loved hotel business because um, I was very much a loner. And I needed to be in the environment that brings happiness, mm -hmm. even though I was still a loner. Mm -hmm. But just seeing how people are so happy in and out of the hotel. Yeah. So um, I just stumbled into Holiday in Crown Plaza to become uh, an auditor. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't something that I planned to do. But 
I guess I liked it because okay. I was a loner. I just uh -huh. had to deal with the numbers. And there was some success there. You were experiencing some success on your own as a loner, but you had sort of been a self-made man at that point, right? Like you distanced yourself from your family and you became independent and successful, right? Well, stable. Yeah, stable. And, uh, you know, four paychecks a month. <laughs> Not too bad. Uh -huh. My wife was working as an auto insurance broker. Okay. But there was something missing uh -huh. in my life. I didn't want to... I didn't want to do that. Yeah, I, I remember I walked into this to my office in uh, the Marriott Hotel, and one day I I just walked right into my office, closed the door. I look around and I said, I don't want to be here. Mm. There's nothing here for me. Mm. And I did the same thing for Park Fifty Five. I walked into my office. I look around. And I said, There's nothing here. And uh, so, but by then I learned how to pray and fast. So did my wife. It wasn't a spiritual practice or religious act. It was just out of desperation. Mm -hmm. We learned how to fast and pray. Uh, We've done a lot of fastings. Um, one day, three days, seven days, 21 days, 33 days, 40 days. It's crazy. But it wasn't because we wanted God to do something. We just want to know what's in it for us in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. Because I read the Bible through and through uh, from cover to cover probably seven, eight times. I always, sense, I always see that when, when they were in the deep trouble in the Old Testament, they would just humble themselves and pray, fast, put on the, uh, a sackcloth, things like that. Mm -hmm. So I wanted that for my life, you know, because I had no relatives. And uh, really no friends. I was busy working. But what's in it for me if God was so real? Mm. And uh, I want to do something for him. But I didn't know what, you know. So this was, so you're, so I'm just trying to make sure I know details. You're working these two jobs at the hotels. How many hours a week are you working at this point? Well, I will work from 9 to 5 at the Marriott. And then from 11 at night until 7 in the morning. Wow. At the Park 55 Hotel. Five days a week? Five days a week. And then at the Park 55, I was able to pick up an on-call uh, position as a banquet waiter. Huh. So sometimes during the weekends, I just take the elevator straight to the fourth floor and just be a banquet waiter for maybe two, three hours because it was really good money. <laughs> so I was just a very occupied. I just yeah. wanted to, to make money, but not knowing why. Yeah. So that night, so let me play a little questionnaire here. That night you experienced this strange televangelist thing, which a lot of people would make fun of or immediately turn off. You were somehow in this state engaged. Were you delirious at the time? Did you feel like totally desperate, totally tired? And you were like, I'm just going to listen to what this guy says because you were so hungry. Say more about that experience. I never really listened to anybody just take time to talk to me. Mm -hmm. You know, um, my dad never talked to me. He just beat us up. Or verbal abuse, you know, that we were never good enough. Yeah. Nobody wanted us. Um, just all kinds of cruel things he said to us. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, he destroyed all six of us. Mm. And uh, I'm just blessed that God saved my life. Mm. So to, to be home for the first time, Listening to someone who was pleading and for my life, 
or maybe other listeners, and then tell me a story about the love of Jesus, mm. the love of God, the crucifixion, and all that stuff. I never heard that in my life. Yeah. I never heard that. I mean, I grew up in the, in the temple. I was not a Buddhist. I just had to follow my parents into the temple. I couldn't understand the word they're saying. They're just they're mumbling, hitting this thing with a stick. Mm. And, uh, but, but this man of God was able to, to just share that that love story with me. I love that you talk about the love story. Yeah. Uh, so the love story of Jesus was there. I know for me and my connection with God, it was definitely the father love mm -hmm. and understanding that God saw me as son. Did that have any impact on you being disconnected with your earthly father? I think so. I think so. Mm -hmm. I think it might have, it would have taken me probably a lot longer to come to know God if ever. If I was in a good family, had everything I ever needed, I think it would, it would take a lot longer. Mm. But I was just desperate looking for something. Mm -hmm. And nothing. There was nothing except a TV evangelist. So what happens after that TV show? What I was, you know, was, that's just the initial reaction. and But that left a very deep mark. It was a turning point. But then you had to work on it. But then again, I was very much just a Sunday Christian from 10 to 12, like two hours a day, <laughs> two hours on Sunday. And then I was in the world, yeah. in the hotel industry, you know, just uh, it's a messy lifestyle. But my wife had gotten saved through the same TV evangelist a year ago. Mm. And she would watch these evangelists on TV and learn from them what it's like to be a Christian. And then when I come home, she would, she would teach me or tell me, you know, what it's like to be a Christian. And then we started practicing uh, prayer. We prayed quite a bit. Then we started fasting. Then we started fasting quite a bit. And we didn't ask God for anything. Um, I just asked God if, if it would be possible for him to give me a heart that can forgive my parents. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so... When your wife was talking to you about what she was learning for that year, what was your response? I was, um, I had a, that initial contact with a, that evangelist, but nobody was watering the seed. Mm -hmm. So my wife was doing that, mm -hmm. and I needed it. And you were open to it? I was very open to it. Okay, that's know, cool. She would say, now stop smoking. <laughs> um, no more uh, secular music, you know, she destroyed, I think it was a big stack of, you know, great records. What were you listening to at the time? What devil music were you listening BG's, to? BGs, Elton John, <laughs> Fleetwood Mac, Eagles. That was all, all the great music in that, the house. Oh, so sad. <laughs> <laughs> she smashed every single oh, one of them. Oh, no. <laughs> well, we need to talk about that. Like when we make your life movie, we should say, should we include that part? <laughs> okay, so you're experiencing, you're, you're open to God. You're kind of feeling maybe this um, leading of there needs to be a change. But you, you also said you noticed, you felt what you really wanted was a change of your heart. Yeah. Because you were aware of what the bitterness, the, the the estrangement from your parents, from your dad. Well, I think it was more than bitterness. I hated him. Ah. I hated him uh, with passion. And um, as a matter of fact, 
Uh, I've been a Christian for 35 years. I've been a pastor since 1993. Um, to this day, I don't preach on Father's Day. I don't preach on Mother's Day mm. at all. Is it too hard for you or what? Um, I just don't believe it. I just don't believe that uh, I can go up there and pretend like, hey, it's a great day to celebrate. Uh. The Father's Day. My wife tells me, just tell them about the Father God. God Father, yeah. I say, I understand that. But I'd rather just sit down and listen. Yeah. Maybe somebody else can do better without any, you know, uh, problems. Father, that's really fascinating. I love that Like in a lot of ways. So t- listeners, uh, you know, r- you're a hero to a lot of people. And I love that at the same time you... Are this, some people call you like a, a spiritual ninja in the tenderloin here. I've heard you re- be referred to as a, as a ninja because of all the great work you'll, you're doing, and we'll get to that. Uh, and you are this amazing leader. You have these books out. You will get to the hunger strike. You have, you know, you've changed the city. But at the same time, you're saying there's still this residual humanness that kind of forbids you from enjoying or maybe speaking uh, on behalf of... Um, of fathers or enjoying that day because of the pain in your past. So I think it's interesting. You want to say more about that? Like just as a human being, that was a really damaging relationship. It sounds like obviously. Yeah. Because, um, I didn't really pay attention to a lot of other people, but when I came to this country and I look at the Americans, how they enjoy life, they on the weekends they have places to go. Mm. They go to concerts. They you know they they do all kinds of fun things, camping, uh, whatever. And I never experienced anything like that. And yet, um, you know, all we knew was this physical abuse and the verbal abuse that we were never good enough. It's almost like being locked up in the in the house, mm. and we couldn't get out. Yeah. And uh, I seen how he destroyed. Uh, my older brother, he was beat up so bad that he was mentally challenged. Mm-hmm. And uh, my second brother, Alan, was um, also very much destroyed. You know, he up to this day, he's all by himself, locked himself in the room. Mm-hmm. And I see myself and, you know, and the rest of the, the siblings. And it's how one man can destroy yeah. the future of six kids. Yeah. And they were his. Yeah. Then I hated my mom because mm. she should have walked out. She should have walked out. She, she, was, an ac- she was an accomplice. It. She stayed with yeah. it, you know. And uh, so that that was my obstacle. If I want to get right with God, I had to ask him to, to help me remove that. Mm-hmm. The bitterness, the hatred, the anger, and depression. Mm-hmm. You know, what was what make me stop preaching on Father's Day and Mother's Day is I will go up, pretend everything was good, mm. and I will get so depressed the following three days. Yeah. I couldn't get out of it. Wow. You know, I finally decided to forget I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. You know. I have been thinking about this phrase for a while and I don't know where it came from. It's not original to me. But the idea that God will never hurt us. Therefore, he will never say, have to say he's sorry because he will never hurt us or harm us. That's, you know, in his nature to be good. But at the same time that God would say to us, I am sorry that the people I created, those who are made in my image, have harmed you. Mm-hmm. And that was very um, 
releasing for me when I started to realize that God feels sorry for the way his people treats people, <laughs> the way that parents treat their children. Uh, so what was it like for you? How did you, how did God sacredly and strangely move in your life to heal you and bring you and move you to a place of wholeness and healing? I believe just reading the word and then through prayer mm-hmm. and fasting because because of a, the two commandments, love, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. As long as I have, I carry that bitterness, that hatred, it didn't matter how much I pray or fast, and it just wasn't going to go anywhere. God only works one way, his way. So I had to do that, and I did. I led my dad to the Lord towards the end of his life. He lost everything. He sold that beautiful home, went to Las Vegas, lost everything. When I got to him, he was in the little room somewhere in the city with just a mattress on the floor. He was a poor man, a broken man. He had um, a TB at the time, and he didn't want to take the medicine. He said, I'm just going to die. TB, so, tuberculosis? Yeah. Uh. So when I walked in, I said, I'm not here today to pray for your healing. I'm here today to pray that you will receive Jesus. And he couldn't, he could only whisper at a time. And um, he said that he was a Christian long ago in China, but then he loved God. So he knew God. He just loved God. Mm. And so we pray, and then shortly after that, he uh, passed away. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. So your, your span of relationship with your dad from the time you left, you were 15, to the time when you had that last moment with him was what? How long? I would say probably 14, 15 years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so at you're so you're about thirty ish mm-hmm. at the time and you come to know Jesus at seventeen through this evangelist, you start praying. You keep using the word fasting. For those who don't know what that word is, that just means giving up food or giving up something in which you can so you can experience God in a different way. Mm-hmm. Or um which I, I wanna get to that too, because that's so significant in your life. So when does when does City Impact be, is, when is it born? Because I know from the book and from your story, it's so cinematic. You break down, literally, your car mm-hmm. on the way to work, right? Can you tell us about that and yeah. when that was? Well, I got saved at age 27. And uh, then I moved out to the 45th Avenue right there by the Great Highway. And, uh, and I wanted to stay healthy so i created a running path it's about four mile long and started running praying daily very consistent um and my my prayer was god so now what 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 can i possibly do i even went to a local pastor i said i'm really excited about god i just want to i just want to serve him Mm. he thought i wanted a job from him, he said, well, I'm sorry, we don't have the budget. <laughs> Can't hire you. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't hire you. And so that was pretty depressing, 30 minutes, speaking to a pastor, <laughs> telling you that 
There's nothing he could have done. Oh, man. We, we get it wrong so much. <laughs> we, we miss the point so much. Well, you know, you're right about that, Tony, because <laughs> anybody walks into this room and say, you know, God's calling me to do something, I have many things for them to do. <laughs> Here's a list of things I can help put you to work. Yeah. Right. And it's not yeah. even for me. I mean, there's so many hundreds of pastors and yeah. business, Christian businessmen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but anyway... Well, let me interrupt real quick because that's such a funny like part of this podcast is I always love talking about that. Sometimes I look back at my story. I would think the only way I could serve God was to preach. Like That's what I thought the pinnacle of serving God was going to be, going to seminary, getting that title of pastor, having, my, having a church, and then you know every Sunday spending 50 hours a week learning it and then speaking it. But I learned it was, it's been radically different because we know God is in the margins. God is in the dirt and the grime. God is in the business world. God is in the entertainment world. And how do we use our gifts and our passions to serve him in all of those ways? And that's kind of what you were praying for is what is my calling? Because you didn't feel like you were, you were in it at that point. Well, I was influenced by the church culture. I thought, you know, preaching, leading worship, teaching, all those were very important. And they are to a certain extent, mm -hmm. but that's not where we should go. We should know the theology, systematic theology. We should know um, how to pray and uh, how to live righteous. Um, but I think God has us in so many different ways. And uh, But I didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. So that's the most troublesome thing in my life. Because whenever God's making the move, um, you know he wants to make a move, but he's not talking. And so you pray, you wait, you pray, you wait. He doesn't talk. And uh, so I, I, I just started praying and running along the great highway. And, uh, and one day I just got really desperate. I stopped praying and I ran to the cliff house. There was a cliff there. And those who aren't in the Bay Area, this is right on the ocean, right on the beautiful part of the coast here. And I climbed halfway down the cliff. I was just sitting there. It was one of those San Franciscan, San Franciscan, uh, you know, normal foggy day, dreary. I was just praying. I said, God, you know I'm going to go after you. You know that I will quit everything. But you're not talking. What is it? <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> and then... Then I got hired um, by the Park 55 Hotel. So just two weeks after that, I got off work. I parked my car right here in the Tenderloin. As I was going towards my car, I noticed I had a flat tire. So I called for the tow truck driver. While I was waiting for him, I noticed a young man, a young boy was be getting beat up mm -hmm. by some older kids. Of course, I was troubled by that. Um, but, you know, I didn't help the kid. I didn't know what to do. I was thinking about, well, I'm a Christian now. I have two jobs. I am a family man. I understand the situation. I don't want to risk my life. So I drove away from that spot to my home. It was about 20 minutes drive. So after the tow truck came? Yeah. Okay. And do you think in that moment there was something that just triggered you? Abuse, wanting I to was, avoid it, wanting to. I was struggling within. Why am I so coward? Mm. How come I don't, I'm not a hero? Why don't I go on and rescue this kid? Mm. Um, and I don't want to blame it on anything. It's just like, 
I never hit my father when he would hit us. So it was just that it was like a nightmare right in front of me, the flashback. Mm. But as I was getting closer to my home in the avenues and uh, God spoke to me. I was just a brand new Christian with about a year and a half. He impressed upon my heart, in my mind, not an audible voice. And he said something like, what if that was your son? What would you do? Yeah. And you had had kids at this point, so you yeah. knew what it felt like to be a father. Right. And yeah. I said, well, I would have jumped out of my car and rescued my kid. Yeah. And he said, well, for me, they're all the same. Uh-huh. So when I got home, my wife noticed something different about my expression, and she said, what happened? And I said, I don't know. Mm. I just started crying. I said, I have no idea, mm. but I think God spoke to me. I told her what happened. We prayed. We cried that night. Then the following day, I made 50 sandwiches, and I brought them to the tenderloin. And that was 34 years ago. Wow. I never stopped. Just kept on coming. And the rest is history. Yes. So for those who don't know, and they're not from San Francisco, uh, the history is, let's do the short bio. So you start bringing those sandwiches. You just feel a calling. And you never did find that kid, right? You nope. never did see that kid again. Never did. Uh, you start bringing sandwiches. You start passing them out. You have to get the book Chasing God to get the whole story. We're going to just kind of touch some things. But you felt like there was a draw for you to come back and do something. And the only thing you felt like at that point you could do was to start passing out sandwiches. Mm -hmm. And then it grew to what? Starting these youth groups. And talk a little bit about all those different elements that happened over the 30-some years. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't have any – we didn't have a building. We didn't have any volunteers. Maybe one or two people, two or three, would help us on the weekends. And we just go into the high-rise buildings, you know, knock on doors, pray with people. Um, and then kids started following me, but I had no place to go. So we'll meet up in the park or deserted empty buildings in yeah. the tenderloin. And then um, just like that, for yeah. the least the first, I will say the, f the first 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't just kind of, uh, you know, in and out of the buildings. We'll meet up, meet up in places like the park or uh, that I didn't have to pay anything. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, Ro and Roger, for... For people who aren't familiar with the Tenderloin, I always try to describe it. Like people, when they hear the word Skid Row in Los Angeles, they have an immediate picture that comes to mind. I sort of would call people who aren't familiar with the Tenderloin that it's the Skid Row of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. It's really one square mile, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. And the history is, I believe, was it in the 80s when, I forget what happened, but wasn't there like uh, a release of quota from prisons and they had to put people up here in the Tenderloin because that's where there was housing available for them. And so you had this kind of um, we'll call salad bowl of different types of people with um, you know, prison records and um, mental illness mm -hmm. and drug addiction. It's sort of a hotbed for um, strip and sex clubs, right? All in this one square mile of the city. Is that, how, is that correct? Oh, yeah. And then there was the influx of uh, refugees. Mm -hmm. So... Maybe 500 buildings uh -huh. uh, with about 37,000 residents, including the kids, and then maybe seven to 8,000 homeless population daily. Daily, seven to 8,000 homeless people in one square mile. Yeah. This is yeah. where they get 
all their helps, yeah. all the meals and yep. everything else they need. Yep. We have probably the largest concentration of nonprofit, mm -hmm. um, government programs, mm -hmm. and but it is probably the worst place to be. Mm -hmm. People actually will avoid the Tenderloin, either walking through it or driving. In fact, uh, I mean, it sounds sort of crass, but you you said there's three crime, major crimes every hour uh, that happen in this city. Uh, there, you know, when you're walking down any street, I think I stepped in feces as I was walking here. Literally, I wasn't sure if it was an animal or it was human. It could be either. Uh, <laughs> people are afraid of the Tenderloin. Yeah. But you... And in the same way, as you broke down, you didn't want to intervene, but then all of a sudden you feel a calling and the word intervene has become sort of your moniker. Like yeah. That's the word you guys use. Like you exist to intervene. So go back, you start these, you're like the Pied Piper, kids are following you. you. There's one park, right, in the Tenderloin. You start meeting in the park and in buildings, but then there starts to be sort of this swell, this movement of something bigger was happening. You, you felt as if God was calling you to do something significant here. Well, I didn't see anything. I didn't see, I didn't have a business plan. <laughs> I didn't have a vision. I didn't have, I didn't even feel that something was going to be as big as it is today. I just want to tell people about Jesus because the way I came to know the Lord. And then seeing all these people locked in in their rooms, not wanting to go out. And seeing the homeless on the streets when nobody pay attention to them. Um, and I wanted just tell them about Jesus. And the Jones Street right here was pretty bad when I came in. Mm -hmm. We have hundreds of people on Jones just in this three blocks. From Alice all the way down to McAllister. Three blocks of just a bunch of hundreds of people up and down. And it was so bad. Every now and then, I just take the Bible, go into the corner, and I just started reading. And uh, instead of preaching to them, I was just reading the Bible, and they would just tell me to get out. Mm -hmm. I never got hurt uh, the whole 34 years that I've been here, except I got punched once. Mm -hmm. And uh, But other than that, you know, I God's pretty much protected me, my wife, my kids. Um, but our job is not to compete with a nonprofit organizations there's not even to raise money so we can have more savvy staff but just we have to be passionate mm -hmm. if we're not passionate and we're not a, a prayer person or you know people that believe in the supernatural mm -hmm. and that believe in the longevity of seeing somebody come to know God in five years ten years this is not the place to be. Yeah. If you think this is the place where you can come to spiritual warfare and walk out of here, <laughs> where everybody get healed, yeah. you, or you think there's a place you can use it to, to market your ministry and get a lot of money, um, God will deal with you. Because mm -hmm. we had a couple that came ninja, in ninja. from Connecticut. They had a pretty good you know, background. They came in, they set up the shop two blocks away, um, wanted to start a, a mission. Within the year, the wife had a nervous breakdown, and they just pack up and left. They didn't even clean up their whatever they wore. Wow. They just left. And it's not a place that you come in and say, yeah. you know, I'm going to do something. Yeah. Did God call you? Yeah. If God didn't, that's not a place to be.
<laughs> so Roger, you're always so fun and humble, and again, the ninja like. So over your like vision list, with like you said, um, calling things started to develop. Though there, um, in fact, Kristen Eberwine, who's one of your volunteers here, who uh, does her the, the library in the basement of this very building we're in. Yes. She was my guest on episode 18, sharing her journey of grief, and she shared how serving here has been healing. She said, actually, we were texting today. She's in Spain, and she said, uh, "I love Roger. I'm reading a text because miracles follow him everywhere." So you've experienced miracles as you have started to establish what you've done here. Can you talk a little about that? Because you started a church, you started a school, and you started a rescue mission and a thrift store. Now you have a clinic, uh, a medical clinic here. What are some of the miracles that have happened to enable those things to be what they are today? The miracles of um, transformation, uh, a heart that's been transformed because I came in here with passion. I want to tell people about Jesus. I want them to be free because of all, because they can't get out of their situation and it takes that, the Spirit of God. But that was not what God wanted. He wanted me to, to um, assimilate into their lifestyle. I didn't accept them. Hmm. I want to tell them about Jesus, but please don't touch me. Yeah. Um, I don't want to eat with you. I don't want to eat here. Yeah. You know, that was, there was a lot of this uh, prejudice uh, within my heart. So I remember your son one time said you would uh, wash your hands. Uh, he, he was like talking about your... Um, you know, your idea of not wanting to touch people and, you know, feeling like I needed to sanitize myself. Mm -hmm. uh, but I wanted to be at a place where I was telling you the truth. And that was something I thought was really profound, which was very gospel-like that Jesus was saying to you, Roger, I became human. I walked among the people and he wanted that for you too. Yeah. You know, growing up in Taipei, San Francisco, and the culture that the tenor one wasn't very comfortable for me. Yeah. Uh, if he removed the passion, I would have never came in. But then God didn't just want your passion. He wants uh, the whole holistic of your passion, not just partial. Is Do you love them enough to go inside of their room and sit on that dirty, filthy sofa mm -hmm. and watch this channel that you don't understand? eat the food that you don't really like, mm -hmm. pray with them while the mice will run right over your shoes. Uh, those things are scary to me. <laughs> My, yeah. Walk in, I remember one time I walked into this room and this, this kid was just in that room by herself. And um, there was nothing in there. there nothing in the refrigerator. Her parents had gone out. I walked into the kitchen. There was a live chicken in the bag <laughs> and uh, a cutting board on the windowsill because, you know, they, 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 uh, they killed the chicken there. They like to eat fresh wow. meat. Wow. And things like that really scared me. Yeah. And, but situations like that. I yeah. walk into places where I've seen abuse. Yeah. Human trafficking happening here. Human trafficking happening here? I've seen that. I heard things. Um, but 
do I want to become a reporter, report to this, report to that? I can do that. Or should I find a solution, you know? Um, so that's when I decided I want to do as much as I can. Even though we didn't have any volunteers in the first 10, 10 12, 13 years. It was your family doing all the work. Just huh? me, my <laughs> wife, most of the time, yeah. a couple of Christians that will come by yeah. from another city. And, um, but that's really all I needed. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the transformation period in my life was when God spoke to me about how I distanced myself from the people here. I, I broke down and, and I cried. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, if you're willing to accept them, you see a different kind of ministry. Yeah. And it was at that moment, God began to open so many doors because yeah. I, no I no longer care. That's how we started the rescue mission. I didn't want a rescue mission, but my heart changed, so it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. And the thrift store, and then elementary school, mm -hmm. and then Wednesday night, Wednesday night prayer, Friday youth, Super Saturday, mm -hmm. on Saturday, Sunday service. See, I didn't come here to plant a church. Mm -hmm. I'm not a church planter. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted a church here on Sunday for only one reason. That is, I can't, I don't want to just minister to them or do the so-called outreach from Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, and then I go to some great church and worship. Mm -hmm. I wanted to worship with them. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, the offering was $20, $30. You go 40 blocks out. My pastor friends were taking in, you know, 5000 yeah. to 20000 yeah. but that. I just want to be with the people. I remember you telling a story about how sometimes people would just put whatever was in their pocket. If it was even like a needle or a cigarette butt or, or something like that, they would just offer <laughs> whatever they had, which was beautiful and strange and sacred all at the same time. I yeah, that. That I was at this building one time, 230 Jones, which is our school building. Yeah. At that time, it wasn't. It was just the outreach center. And then through the glass door, there was... Uh, a homeless woman knocking on the door. So I believe it was on Saturdays. I walked over, opened the door, and she had two pennies in her hand. Mm -hmm. She said, I know this is a church. Mm. This is all I have. Can I give them to you? Mm. She gave me the two pennies and walked away. And I held on to those two pennies. I said, God, you love us so much. Yeah. Because you would call someone who didn't have anything, and to give everything that she had to us. Yeah. Things like that, yeah. it's a statement, yeah. right? People say, well, you don't have a ministry until you have a million-dollar donation, uh -huh. right? Because your status is different. Somebody, yeah. You're so important that somebody's giving you a million. Yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. I think if somebody gives you two pennies and that's all they have, yeah. it tells you that God cares about you Sounds just like as a, much yeah. as that $1 million. Sounds like a story Jesus would tell, right, to get our attention. I love yeah, that. Yeah, so, yep. so I live like that. Anybody that comes in, that doesn't matter, you know, um, I know that they're sent by God. Yeah, and you, but you've also, okay, so as you started this uh, journey, you realized, okay, I think we need to get some buildings. We need to find somewhere to start this school and start this rescue mission. So then there became an opportunity to buy some buildings, which require money. And your book, there's this one crazy miracle about the bags of gold. Tell that story. Yes. <laughs> when we started 
coming here to the Tenderloin very often. And I was walking on Jones. I stumbled into this little storefront, and a businessman had rented this little storefront. And he got hold of me. He said, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna go to New York. Once you take this, I'll pay for everything. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the rent. Don't worry about the utilities. So I did that for, for about two years or so. And then he said, you know, uh, I'm going to have to stop. Um, maybe you could go find something else. And then, um, so we rented a little place here on Eddie and Jones. And then I think a year, two years later, I saw a for sale sign from the 230 Jones, the building that we're in, the first building. So I called the broker, talked to him. He said it was $1.2 million. I had no support. I didn't speak in any churches. We just pray fast. That's really all we ever did. Mm-hmm. And then... I told myself I would like to buy it. I would like to make an offer. We signed the contract, and um, he was very nervous. He knew. He said, "Well, how are you going to get this money?" But remember, now I was a brand new Christian, and I said, "God will provide." Right? God will provide. <laughs> he can do anything. <laughs> he wasn't too thrilled about that yeah. statement. <laughs> I wonder why. But I was yeah. so passionate. I didn't even care about the expression. Yeah. We care more now because yeah. we're more mature now. <laughs> And um, so he went away, and I told my wife, and she said to me, Roger, where are you going to get this money? <laughs> I said, I think I will provide. <laughs> One week gone by, nothing. Two weeks gone by, nothing. And so hard. And I Wait. came to my wife. I said, what do we need to do now? She said, well, let's pray and fast for 40 days. And we did that. We're praying fast for 40 so you days. Went, you went without what for 40 days in a row? What did you go without? Everything but water? Just water. That's crazy. Water and juice, and that was it. And at the end of the 40th day, a day or two later, there was a group of elderly Asian ladies coming down from the Knob Hill. And Knob Hill is, is one of the richest areas in the city. And... Um, they they found me right here on Jones and Eddie. I was just right on the sidewalk. They grabbed hold of me, and they was telling me something about, are you getting this building for Jesus? They spoke Cantonese. I I speak Mandarin, so we really didn't connect, uh-huh. you know. But I knew they were pointing the building and say Jesus. And I said, <laughs> so I pointed yeah. to that building. And I go, Jesus, yeah, Jesus, and then they pull out the checkbooks and started giving me twenty thousand, ten thousand. Uh, checks like that. I couldn't believe it. And then the lady, May Chan, she said, come to my house, you know, on the Knob Hill, because um, I want to talk to you. So we, my wife and I went to her house on the Wednesday, the following Wednesday. And it was a three-story mansion. We walked in, took off our shoes, walked mm-hmm. all the way down this long, narrow hallway, into a big family room. There was a group about maybe 50 to 60 elderly Asian ladies. May sought me and she said, Roger, come to the middle of this room. And when I got to the middle, she said, we have been praying in this room, in our Bible study for the last 30 years, that God will send someone to the Tenderloin. And when we heard about you, God said, that's, that's the man that mm. you've been praying for. Mm. 
So she asked both of, both of us to kneel on the floor. They lay hands on us and pray, and they gave us more checks. And one lady said, "Well, would you come to my house?" <laughs> so I went to their house. It's like a scavenger hunt for money. I love it. Sunset <laughs> District, and uh, it was a three-story home by the Sunset Boulevard. Very nice district. And walk into the to the house, and her husband was sitting right there in the middle of the living room. And uh, he didn't get up. He said, "Would you come over and, and hold my hand?" And as I got closer, I realized he was blind. And so he grabbed my hand. He said, "Are you the man that's trying to get that building for Jesus?" That's what I heard from my wife. I said, "Yes." He said, "Well, twenty-five years ago, I made a lot of money in Macau." And God said, "Hold that money. One day, I'm going to ask you to release it." Wow. He said, "When my wife told me about you, the Holy Spirit said, 'That's the man. Give him the money.'" And he said, "Are you that man?" And I said, <laughs> "Yes, I am the yeah. man." So he asked his wife. He said, "Go get the stuff." She gets up, goes beyond this curtain, comes back out with a big bag of gold coins, and he said, "Now cash it, get that building." With these leprechauns or something? <laughs> This is amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> and by the time we got the, we cash、uh, the gold coins and all the checks. And、uh, a pastor called me from Santa Cruz. I never met this guy. I was not in the church circle at all.、Uh-huh. We were just praying, fasting in the tenderloin, just very diehard. He said, "Our church heard about you. We sold some properties in the back of our church, and we wanted to give ten percent of the profit to you. And it's about a hundred thousand." Wow. Should I send you the check, or you want to pick it up? <laughs> I said. I would like to come. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and by the time we put everything down, the building had dropped from 1.2 million to 660,000. Wow! It's a four-story building.、Yeah. A few years ago, when we had the praise, it was about seven million. And、uh, but that's just how God provided.、Yeah. So that the story be, be、wow. before all that. I put when my when I put my eyes on this building, I had called a woman of God. She was in her 80s. She was living in Turlock, two hours away from San Francisco, and I said, "Lula Bear, I want to get this building, but I have no money. Would you come and pray with us?" Because she planted, I think, seventeen churches in Northern California, and、um, so she drove all the way here. She was in her eighties, and we went all the way down to the basement, and then he will walk. She will walk with my wife, holding her, every step. Every step, she said, she will say, "Jesus, give him this building." And then the next step, she will say that again, all the way to the top of the building.、Mm-hmm. Just things like that. Yeah. So I know that、um, has nothing to do with me, you know,、uh, being smart or, you know, I know about business deal.、Mm-hmm. Everything is through prayer. Prayer. Everything's too bad. Yeah,、better. that's the miracles that Kristen was talking about. That miracles follow you, but you're saying they're just following the God, the the God who's chasing you, the, the God that you're chasing, the、yes. God that you're depending on and praying. And so that I love that story. And as I'm journeying out my own regard, I, that's good encouragement for me is to remember like I need to depend on God and pray and expect miracles. 
And part of the story that I'm so obviously engaged in is, um, we'll get to this, we're doing a movie on your life. The whole idea of you using this fasting, which is a a hunger strike on behalf of the kids of the Tenderloin. So you have this building that we're in, this four-story building. It's a great building. If you're in the Bay Area, come visit. Uh, They do these conferences. They do all these amazing things all the time. I highly recommend getting involved with City Impact here in the Bay. But you started the school, the the academy, the Mm -hmm. City Impact Academy. And there's one park in this little square mile that was always littered with meth needles. And you guys live or you have your establishment right across the street from the police station, the the Tenderloin police station is right across the street in which people shoot up Mm -hmm. right in front of the station. Uh, there was also strip clubs and liquor stores going up right around. Uh, the city wasn't regulating mm-hmm. the prohibitions of those type of things they needed to do. And you got to a point of recognizing something had to be done. Yes. And talk about that. What happened? Well, there was a strip club that opened up right next to our building, the 230 Jones, which we purchased with the gold coins and all the checks. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really pay attention to it other than, let's pray. Let's pray against it. <laughs> right. And, and then one day, a couple of my staff came to me uh, and said, you need to go out. I think there's going to be a big fight. So I walked out, and it's just like 10 feet away, a um, couple of my staff and their bouncers were, were ready to get into a huge fight. And um, first of all, I didn't think we had a chance. Second of <laughs> all, we're a Christian <laughs> organization. <laughs> and uh, what happened was the bouncer told my daughter-in-law, they said, you know, you look pretty good. Why don't you come over here and be a stripper? Wow. And she was really humiliated. Wow. And they also did that to our eighth grade girls. Wow. You know, when you graduate from the school, you know, wow. when you reach 18, come and be a stripper, you can make a lot of money. And that just shows the poverty, the, the brokenness here, the poor in spirit of this little one square mile. There is so much darkness that pervades this community that these eighth graders would be hearing this invitation yeah. at age 13. Like, that's their life. So... Then I talked to the owner, Steve. I said, uh, the operator, I said, Steve, tell your bouncers to leave us alone. I said, he goes, well, hey, I'm running the business. It is what it is. I said, but you have a daughter. You want her to be a stripper? He said, that's two different stories. Mm. You know, of course not. Wow. Wow. I said, well, Steve, um, this is not right. Yeah. So I came back in one of those conversations, and we'll continue to pray. But then God told me, he said, you need to go, you need to fast about this. And then if you do it, and I'll do something about it. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Come on, God. (laughs) Every time we're going to fasting, it's not like you get used to it, right? Basketball, you, you practice, you practice, you get really good at it. And when you get so good, you make millions of dollars. But fasting, you get nothing other than you don't eat. Yeah. And I didn't tell my wife. So, and one, 
And then one day, as we were coming into this building, she said, Roger, you need, to, you need to fast about this thing. And I said, well, that's exactly what God told me last week, but I didn't want to tell you. So we both decided to stage a hunger strike, but we know it's fasting. Yeah. I just pick up the, a folding chair, walk right in front of the city hall, and just sat there for the next 33 days and 32 nights. And uh, my wife was also fasting with me, but nobody knew. It was just, I, I created some attention. Yeah. Like drama. It was a nice, it was kind of like, perform but it was real. When you say stage, it wasn't like you were, you were really doing it. You were going without food, but you were saying in the public square, literally in front of San Francisco City Hall. And this is the year 2004, right? Yes. Stayed there for 33 days, 32, uh, 32 nights, and the mayor agreed to the, the demands that I have had. And what were those demands? One of them was to stop issuing liquor license. We don't need that. Mm -hmm. You know, we have, we have like over 43 of them here. In one, one mile. Yeah, just one square mile. Yeah, and then the strip club, and then uh, the underground park club, um, and then, co you know, cocktail lounge, and then all these things. And also, the park um, is just filled with uh, drug addicts. Yeah. That should be for the family. Yeah. They need to get out of there. We need to put a guard there. And then the portable um, uh, public restroom. Mm -hmm. We need to have security as well, because people go in there and shoot up. Yeah. And sleep in there and all the, all sorts of things, right? And then the last one, which was the first thing, is that to shut down the strip club. Mm -hmm. Well, the mayor, after so many days, he said, I can do everything except the, the strip club because they, they grandfather in mm -hmm. this license long before you arrive here. Even though regardless, it was right next to the school, even right. though, I mean, how many kids are here? hundred and what? At that time, we only have okay. about 30 to 40. Okay. And um, so, anyway, but he made a deal, the mayor and the supervisor made a deal with the owner, that if I come up with the money, that they will sell the building to me. And um, the owner said yes, and the mayor said, well, if you come up with the money, then the building is yours, so you can put it on the city now. Uh -huh. Raise the money, you have the building, you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. So that's how we ended the fasting, mm -hmm. the hunger strike. It, was crea it created a big news in the yeah. city. But that's not why we were there. Yeah. We were not there for the camera. We're not, we were there to petition before God mm -hmm. that something has to change. Mm -hmm. And so we came back, took the folding table, the folding chair, and then we came back. Few days later, the only change is mine. It was a setup, just to get me out of the media's, yeah. you know, attention. But I don't know. I think it was a few weeks later, the operator died suddenly, and the whole strip club was gone. And uh, and that's why. <laughs> don't mess with Roger. <laughs> I just. Uh, I'm not saying. Anything about that particular event, but it was probably the best way for me because I I had no time to go over it. <laughs> so yeah, you didn't have to buy the building, but the strip club. <laughs> but the but the but you did you did man. I mean, 
I know you still feel in some way that the city it doesn't really work with you. You still are working just with God. You are God is the one that is making happen what He wants to happen here in the city. Yeah, I I don't work with um, I don't make deals with politicians. Uh-huh. I don't work deal with uh, community organizers, and we have few. I just listen to them. I walk away, and I bring before God the petition because He's above all. You know, as I was fast, fasting and, and having, doing the hunger strike in front of the city hall, it was really hard yeah. because you sit in there on this folding chair and it gets it gets really cold out to 5, 6 p.m. when the so sun this was what, what month was this again? October? I think, yeah, it was. Um, no, it was. I think it was old. I think it was April. It was April, okay, okay. You know, in San Francisco, it doesn't really Regardless, matter. Regardless, yeah. <laughs> Regardless. When the sun goes down, I'm sitting there in the piazza, yeah. and the wind comes down. It was so cold. Yeah. And this city hall building is humongous. And you see these businessmen coming in, making deals, politicians, limousine. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at all these high-power people in this great building, mm-hmm. and you begin to doubt. It's like... God, are you sure this is going to work, you know? Yeah. And uh, But every now and then my wife would say, Roger, you just do your work and let God yeah. do his. And what I think is so cool, so I alluded to this, um, those of you who have been following me know that we're doing a movie on, on this whole story. We're calling it 33 Days and based on the book Chasing God that Roger wrote. And obviously, just as he described it, it's so cinematic to think of a metal folding chair with Roger sitting on it in front of this amazing city landscape that has all these political and social and spiritual ramifications. But one thing I think is really beautiful is I know there are still challenges and people took back some of the things that they said they were going to give, but they've seemed to work out uh, the the, the park that's right here. I mean, Mm -hmm. it is a beautiful park. It It now has a beautiful fence and a beautiful mural. And now how many kids get to enjoy that every day from the academy? Just from here, it's about 85, 85 to 90. Okay. Last year, it was about 110. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I give credit to God because yeah. we wanted a park just for the kids. Yeah. And the city came around and spent millions of dollars. They don't even charge us. Yeah. We get to go in, I mean, and then use the park and just walk right out. No overhead, no insurance, mm-hmm. no not liability. It's amazing. Yeah. It really is beautiful. In the middle of this little one square mile where it could seem dark and oppressive, there is the light, the light of God, the light of City Impact, the light of your ministry. And so I, I'm so excited to do this film, and I want to talk the last couple of minutes here on it. Um, so uh, this, this podcast will be one of the revealing. We're talking about who we're working with. Uh, one of the writers of the film, I Could Only Imagine, which is another true story adaptation, which is interesting, similar, a true story adaptation of a, a singer, an artist, who was reconciling his abusive father's life and the effect that it had on him and how that impacted his calling, his art, his music. And so Brent McCorkle is adapting your story. You met with him Mm -hmm. uh, this summer. Uh, We did a bunch of interviews. He's taken the book, and he's compiling all of these stories. It's hard to (laughs) take a 34-year journey or even more, your whole life journey, and put it into the span of a two-hour film. But we're just so excited. Our producers, Terry, 
who's on your board of directors here, and Ed, who served. Ed was uh, one of the drivers. And, yes. Yeah, and he, that's how... He, uh, he, he came with me to one of the conferences. Mm-hmm. I brought him up from L.A., and he fell in love with what was happening here in the Tenderloin. Found his wife here in yes, the Tenderloin. For sure. <laughs> so he and Latasha live in L.A. now, and then our other two producers who are also directing, the Holchek brothers, Dan and Dave. Uh, there's, so there's five of us working on this story, and we're just so excited to uh, put it out into the world because we really believe this story needs to get out there because one person can truly make a difference. One person can see a need and meet it and start with little baby steps, but these baby steps become these miraculous, exponential, supernatural, miraculous things when one commits to seeing life in the strange and sacred way of God. So anything you want to say, what does it feel like to have your your life be put into a story? In some way, I feel like every meeting we have, you're, you're serving coffee, not even in the room. <laughs> you're just like, do whatever you want, guys, it's fine. Well, I think it's, uh, again, God. God has brought five amazing young men, you know, to have a vision and passion for a story that will eventually touch who knows how many, Yeah, you know. Um, people sometimes, they need a story and inspiration uh, to get out of where they are. Yeah. And, uh, but it's not a story that you only get excited for an hour or two, but I think if they can understand that God is in the business of changing lives and they are yeah. very important to Him, and I think it's more than just a movie. Yeah. We'll see many, 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 who knows how many that will excel in their journey. You know, and and they will save, who knows, yep. hundreds and thousands of people. Yep. You know, because I be, I still believe in the crusade. Um, I just don't know where to go to now. But you believe in the what? I I, I believe in the crusade. You know, big tent meeting. Oh, uh huh. Big rally. Gathering people together. Yeah. Big conference. Yep. But you know, let's not forget, it's really the personal relationship that transforms a person. Yep. So if we this this movie can go out where the message that God can use you to transform other people, they they can be a, a revival yeah. in a very, very powerful way. Yeah. And I believe that God will provide the funding for this place. We need some people with bags of gold. Where are you at, people with bags of gold? They've been praying and fasting for a movie to be made about Jesus and the Tenderloin. So there you go. There it is. <laughs> yeah, they're here. They're here. Right on. Roger, hey, thanks for your time. Uh, I know uh, your social media. If you want to follow Roger, you can go to Roger Huang, and that's spelled H-U-A-N-G-S-F-C-I. So it's Roger Huang, S-F-C-I, which stands for San Francisco City Impact. And he's got lots of fun stories and people. You can follow the whole journey and if you want to learn more about the film, 33daysfilm.com. Who, who's going to be the lucky Asian man, the lucky Asian actor to play Roger Huang? Do you have any ideas? Do you have any thoughts? I have no idea, but I think one of the producers is looking for someone. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're excited to, to see who gets to play Roger. And that producing team Roger is referring to is 
David Holchek and Edward Portillo and Terry Liu. So shout out to my team there and all of the work that we're doing to try to make this happen. Shout out to our social media manager, Carrie. You can see all the work she's doing at our Instagram page at 33 Days Film. And we want to say thank you to Megan and other people who are partnering with us, trying to reach out to churches and families and individuals. If you would like to be a part of this community of people who are collaborating together, please reach out to us. And please, okay, last last ask, go to 33daysfilm.com. That will immediately, in December, January, and February of 2021, take you to our WeFunder page, which is wefunder.com slash 33daysfilm, and invest 100 bucks. $100 is the minimum investment or invest 50000 We are trying to, we have a big aspirational goal to raise on the WeFunder platform a million dollars. At this point that this podcast is being put out into the world, we're about $71,000 in and we could use your help. We have a couple more months to get this up there. Please share it on your social media. Send it to your grandma and aunts and uncles and email, text it. Please, however you can help us, 33daysfilm.com. We would really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And huge thanks to my wife, Wendy Gapastone, who's my normal Holy Cannoli co-host, who's doing mom things right now. And to you for listening. All right, thanks so much. I hope you all have a great holiday season. If you're listening to this in December 2020, I hope you are surviving this pandemic, washing your hands and wearing a mask and knowing that God loves you. And there's some great things for your life as you Pursue your purpose, just like Roger Huang did. He pursued justice and it impacted a whole city. All right, we'll talk soon. Holy Cannoli Podcast is a proud production of Brave Maker Media. For more information or to donate, go to bravemaker.com to make your tax-deductible donation today. Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli. If you liked my dad's podcast, please subscribe. Give it a review and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it.